I'm Erin Holt, and this is the Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we lean into intuitive functional medicine. We look at how diet, our environment, our emotions, and our beliefs all affect our physical health. This podcast is your full-bodied, well-rounded resource. I've got over a decade of clinical experience, and because of that, I've got a major bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model. They're both failing so many of us. But functional medicine isn't the panacea that it's made out to be either. We've got some work to do, and that's why creating a new model is my life's work. I believe in the ripple effect, so I founded the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school and mentorship for practitioners who want to do the same. This show is for you if you're looking for new ways of thinking about your health and you're ready to be an active participant in your own healing. You'll get things here that you won't get other places. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. I would love for you to follow the show, rate, review, and share because you never know whose life you might change. And of course, keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. All right, friends, I am so excited about today's show because I have Lauren Moore with us. She's a nutrition practitioner with over a decade of experience, and this is why I'm so excited. She's also the newest addition to our TFN collective. So she sees uh, your hormone revival clients. She sees one-on-one clients. And Lauren will also be teaching a class for us in September's Carb Compatibility Project. So what's cool about this is that if you're listening to today's show and you have any follow-up questions, definitely jot them down. Write any of your hormone questions down, take notes, and then bring them to class in the CCP. Lauren can answer all of them. So as a reminder, CCP is open, but it's the last week to enroll, so you want to get in. We kick things off on Sunday. So let me tell you a little bit about Lauren. She earned her bachelor's and master's degree in exercise physiology and advanced nutrition. She's held various roles for very prominent health club, uh, for a very prominent health club corporation. She also has a passion for educating. Um, I think that's where her and I are in lockstep, and you'll definitely hear that on today's show. So she likes to educate people um, based off of not only her education, but also her clinical experience in functional medicine. So Lauren is another one of our head-hunted practitioners from the Functional Nutrition Academy. We we plucked her right out uh, of FNA because we just loved what she was doing and what she was about and her vibe that she brings to um, our clients. And I will say that FNA enrollment is officially open for our fall cohort. And Lauren, first of all, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yes, I am so pumped. Thank you so much. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If it, What would you say if there was a practitioner who's kind of on the fence thinking about enrolling in FNA, what would you say to them? Short story, do it take the chance on yourself. That's really the biggest thing that I know when I was contemplating it going back and forth, I got to have a onboarding call with Rachel, who was able to answer a lot of my questions as well too. But I think more than anything, it was taking the leap of trusting in yourself um, and knowing that you have a, a team and a community of people around you is so invaluable, right? And I think a lot of times with us and more of a functional uh, nutrition or practitioner field, it can feel pretty isolating, like you're working in just like your small niche. And so if you're on the fence about it, uh, jump in because it's not just the clinical pearls. Like I came in obviously with a lot of formal education, but the amount of like clinical knowledge that I've gained is invaluable. But I think what really attracted me was the combination of the business coaching with the clinical practice. And that's something I didn't get any education on when I was going through my formal um, formal education is the business stuff. So it's really an experience like no other. And so I'd say if you're on the fence about it, do it because it was definitely the best investment I've made in my personal development, but also my career development as well. And I think it's interesting because not everybody, you're somebody who really loves to work as part of a team and thrives that in that environment. Rachel's the same exact way. She never had any desire to go out on her own and start her own company, her own business. And so it's so cool to hear your perspective too, because not everybody who goes through F&A needs to start their own business. Some people do have that very clear goal and some people are just looking to enhance their clinical skill set. Um, 
so that they can maybe be hired by a functional medicine clinic, you know, somewhere down the line. So thank you for sharing that experience. You have, you know, talking about your experience, you've had sort of a unique opportunity um, where you're, you've been able to practice and implement functional health modalities within a conventional model. And so you've said that this offers you a insider's perspective. And that's what I really want you to speak into today, especially as it relates to perimenopause and menopause, that turbulent transition. Um, you've noticed that there's like kind of a rift in women's healthcare in terms of like what people's options are. And so I'm super excited because we haven't really got into the nitty gritty of this on this show before. And so I'm really excited for you to, to speak into that today. Yeah, for sure. It's it's been very unique opportunity to be a more in a functional minded role, but get to practice within a more conventional or Western medicine private practice is where I was at um, more recently. And with that, working in partnership with a, a DO, a doctor of osteopathy, working with nurse practitioners. Um, and within that model, we did a lot of things with the pharmaceutical model, right? We saw individuals that were struggling with thyroid issues. We saw individuals that were struggling with gut issues or hormonal imbalances. And a lot of it tended to be around prescriptive therapies, whether it was utilizing some thyroid medications, utilizing some hormone replacement, or um, just kind of sticking in that conventional field, I got to really see, okay, how does that side of medicine treat these types of conditions and, and treat these types of individuals, specifically women? I mean, obviously our practice wasn't all female-based, but can be kind of largely skewed that way um, a lot of times when we're approaching that more perimenopause transition in life. Um, and women are seeking relief. They're seeking answers. They're looking all over the place. Um, and a lot of times they tend to land on more of these conventional medical clinics that are more private clinics. And what I have saw firsthand was a little bit of a gray area, right? A lot of these places, uh, hormone treatment clinics are calling themselves functional medicine. And you, you know, Google them and they come up under functional medicine practices within their area. And um, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a no man's land, in my opinion, a little bit of a gray area. And I think it was just, a, it's been a really cool experience getting to see that side because in today's world, it's so dichotomous, right? There's such a split. We have these people that are very functional medicine minded, and that's what they believe is true outside of any pharmaceutical intervention. And then you have the more conventional Western medicine side of things that is very open-minded to prescriptive therapies um, and doesn't necessarily always respect or see what the functional side has to offer. And so with that, it was a really, really unique perspective where I get to see firsthand how, you know, honestly, both sides can impact people's health. And it doesn't really have to always be a one or the other. And how can these two fields start to respect what each other does, but also respect how they can both coincide for each individual patient to, to really get them the best results? Yeah, I, I've been saying a lot lately, like we don't have to throw out a whole paradigm in order to adopt another one. It can be and both. And I think what happens when it's like when different uh, beliefs or philosophies start kind of pitting themselves against each other, what happens is that the client or the patient or the person um, struggling is the one that suffers because they're just left being like given an option of like, it's either this or that, pick your lane, which way are you going to go? And I know so much of, of your work is, you know, it's like an, and both, like you can have this and you can have this. Let's just, let's just educate people. Let's talk about both sides of the spectrum and let's figure out where, where we can place them so that they get the best results. So they feel the most support. And, um, I like how you said it's no man's land. Cause like, I think that's just like perimenopause in a nutshell. It's just like, the wild, wild west. It's 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 like no real clear-cut answers. It's kind of like anything goes. People are just trying to figure out how do I feel better? What what's going on with my body? What's happening? And so uh, hopefully today I, folks will walk out of this conversation having a little bit more of a clear understanding of what's going on and what their options are in terms of feeling better. So let's just take it from the top kind of high level 
how do we define perimenopause? What are signs, symptoms, struggles? How does somebody know like, oh, I'm actually in the perimenopause phase? Yeah. So for women, we have that that perimenopause transition that tends to occur in what we would consider midlife, right? You hear a lot of that midlife uh, cycle for women being very questionable, right? So when we think about peri, peri means around. So it's a time around menopause. It's that transition between our fertility years into our more full menopausal state. It's the hard part is, is it is a little bit of a gray area. It's not clearly defined. Uh, symptoms can start as um, early as age 35, all the way to an average age of 45, right? And so, and symptoms can last anywhere from five to 10 years before a woman is considered fully through that menopausal transition. So I think this is where a lot of women get lost in between these worlds of, you know, my fertility years and wanting to focus on my menstrual cycle health and wanting to focus on childbearing. And then they get lost before they're fully menopausal. And we're having conversations around osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease and some more, you know, longevity topics. What do we do with those women that are in between, right? They're not necessarily, they're done with the phase of their life, maybe of having children, but now they're raising children. They're also taking care of maybe aging parents. And it's, it's just this, um, kind of, again, like I said, no man's land in between where there's not a clear defined practitioner that they go to. Some, some of them stop seeing their OBGYN because they're not worried about their fertility anymore. Um, and they try to seek out a primary care provider that may or may not be full on interested in helping them through that perimenopause transition. Um, some primary care providers are more open to options and some are more like, it's an act of life. It's part of womanhood, grin and bear it. Um, so I think that's where in that perimenopause time, it's it's difficult because it's not clearly defined. And um, I think even a lot of our environmental and even some epigenetic factors we're finding are starting to change how and when that perimenopause really shows up. Can you speak into, in case somebody's not familiar with the term epigenetic, can you speak into more of what that means and what that looks like specifically to perimenopause? Absolutely. So when we think about different epigenetic factors, we think about all of the things that could potentially turn on or turn off certain genetic predispositions that we have, right? Of course, we're going to have genetics from our parents, but then lifestyle factors, the uh, the foods that we eat, the toxins that we're exposed to, the stress that we're under, um, sleep cycles, inflammation, uh, gut health. There's so many different things uh, outside of our bodies that act on us. And then genes are either turned on, turned off in response to that. And so we're even seeing how the whole, I guess, more older, um, belief system around, oh, when did your mom go through menopause or what was her experience like may not always hold true anymore because we don't have the same lifestyles as maybe our mothers or our grandmothers' generations did. We see more women having children later in life. How is that impacting the perimenopause transition? We see more women working full-time outside the home to provide a full another full-time income. There's just different stressors and asks of the woman's body these days. And so it's, it is changing our hormones and it's changing um, how we present in that perimenopause phase. And so that means that our, our treatment strategies and our options for these women need to rise to that challenge as well too. Oh, such a solid point. One thing I do for blood sugar support, especially around my workouts, is amino acid supplementation. I put Keon aminos in my water bottle to take to the yoga studio or the gym, and I drink it either before or after my workout, sometimes both. I also like that it enhances my recovery. I feel less sore. Leucine-enriched amino acids help to reduce soreness and aid in muscle repair, and Keon aminos contains 40% leucine plus all nine essential amino acids. So that's kind of why it's a really good fundamental support for fitness. It's backed by over 20 years of clinical research, highest quality ingredients. There's no fillers. There's no junk. It undergoes rigorous quality testing and tastes really good. Save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. If you go to getkeon.com forward slash funk, that's G-E-T, 
K-I-O-N.com slash F-U-N-K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. Since we're talking about hormones and periods and stuff like this, I figured I would answer a question that's come in quite a bit about the Organifi gold powder. People are like, how do you use that? What's your favorite way to use that? And I personally like to mix it. It's, it is a gold powder. So it's like, it's like a golden milk powder. So it does have some, um, coconut milk powder in it. So technically you could mix it with hot water, but I like to uh, mix it with coconut milk or some non-dairy milk, like almond milk. I, I like the taste of it a little bit better and I serve it as a hot drink. And I love to do this around my period. So when I'm menstruating, because it has the turmeric, which helps to reduce inflammation. It has the lemon balm in it as well. I am a lemon balm fan and a uh, an advocate for lemon balm. It's one of my favorite herbs. I love it in tea form. I love it in tincture form. I love it in my Organifi gold powder and it's very soothing. It's a nervine kind of helps to calm everything down. So that is honestly my, one of my favorite ways to use the Organifi gold powder is as like a warming, soothing beverage at night. Um, so that is how I recommend it. You can check it out yourself heading to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. Be sure to use code FUNK to save 20% off of your purchase. Um, what are common symptoms that that somebody going through perimenopause, obviously it can shift and change you know, based on the person, based on the individual, but kind of like your classic symptoms. Mm -hmm. A lot of those symptoms are going to be related to the fluctuating levels of estrogen and progesterone during that time. So usually the first signs are going to be an irregular cycles for women. They'll start to notice that their cycles are becoming closer together, are becoming farther apart, just it's outside of their norm right? Um, other times we'll start to see things like night sweats creep in. Um, those night sweats then can also even contribute to feelings of insomnia, uh, can feel like heart palpitations, can lead to anxiety, irritability, mood swings, um, low libido. Uh, then when we start to get more into when estrogen kind of joins the equation, uh, we can get hot flashes. We can get... Um, Vaginal dryness, uh, which also then sometimes displays as like reoccurring bacterial infections with that low estrogen and vaginal dryness, just changing even um, the vaginal microbiome, right? Um, painful intercourse, breast tenderness, brain fog, difficulty focusing. Those are tend to be a lot of the the major symptoms. Um, and women get the runaround from either different primary care providers or shuttled off to different specialists because these, these symptoms sometimes don't seem related, right? And in the conventional medicine model, they go see one doctor because they're starting to have heart palpitations and they go through a full cardiovascular workup only to find that it comes back completely normal, which is great. We need to check those big things off the list, but then they're not, they don't, that, that cardiologist doesn't have a conversation with that woman about estrogen and how that might be, you know, something that's changing for her and, and impacting these types of symptoms, right? Um, or things like the brain fog and the difficulty concentrating. That's, that's a big one, especially, like I said, with more women in the workforce and women holding more high positions within companies and they want to have that performance edge. Um, and a lot of times women then are going through the whole um, channels around, you know, psychiatric medications. Do I have, you know, adult onset you know, issues with my brain fog and difficulty concentrating. It's like, or is it just your hormones, you know, um, and not really having that, that connection piece. And it just floods them into the conventional medicine model where they continue to get pieced apart and sent 50 different directions to five different specialists and come back without answers. Right. It's like compartmentalized medicine at its finest. You go to the cardiologist for your heart. You go to the endocrinologist for your thyroid. Mm -hmm. You go to, you know, and it's like we're scattered all over the place. We forget to realize that, like, hey, all of these organs and systems actually reside all in the same body. They are, in yeah. fact, interconnected. Um, in, in, in addition to some of those symptoms that you were talking about, uh, body composition changes are not uncommon. And this is something that I hear 
I hear about a lot, um, almost like there's like a little bit of like a shame or just like embarrassment to talk about this, but it's kind of like this idea of like, whose body is this? Like, I don't recognize this body anymore. There's changes happening. I don't really understand why. I can't explain why. You know, there there's so many major league shifts and transitions on an identity level, like maiden, mother, crone, as we like move through these like big archetypes. Um, but th- so to have that kind of going on in the background and then to also look down and be like, whose body am I living in these mm. days? Like it, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. There's, I just, I want to speak into like the, the sort of emotionality behind this, this period too. Oh, it runs deep. That's probably one of the biggest uh, comments that I tend to hear is I feel out of control of my body, mm. right? They don't, they feel foreign. It doesn't feel like the same person that they were in their 20s um, or their 30s. And it is, it's it's definitely kind of an identity shift in starting to to take on that next phase of life. And I think a lot of what I get to talk to with women in this state too is coming to that place where it's it's allowing them to continuously stay curious, right? And not having a, a set ideal for what their body might look like in different stages of life, right? I like to usually tell women, it's like every decade, your body will probably be a little different, and that's okay. And we just need to have that opportunity to come to the table, have trusted practitioners that we can talk to about those different changes so that it doesn't take us completely by surprise. And also so that we feel back in the driver's seat of our body. And the more confident we are being empowered with some education, now our body starts to make sense a little bit, right? And it's like, oh, okay, that's why I feel that way. That's why this shift has happened. So, so when you put it that way, then if I can, you know, make some of these changes to my nutrition or make some of these changes to my lifestyle or insert some nervous system regulation practices that I didn't really have to think about before, or they just start to be able to see all of the things that they can control and those things might look a little different now, and that's okay. In in fact, by changing those things and, and allowing them a safe space to like let go, let go of what the 20s looked like, that's okay, right? The, those things that you're trying so hard to implement now, you're burning yourself out, right? It's okay. Just trade those tools in. We just need some new tools and you know you can feel back in that driver's seat and i think that's probably the the most calming thing that we can provide um for women is just that education and that clarity of they're not crazy right this is not all in your head um you're not out of control of your body you haven't lost some sort of identity you're just in this process where you get to stay curious and explore a new identity and like how exciting is that Um, once you start to work, when you learn how to work with that new body versus fight against it. There, um, one of my mentors, Jessica Flanagan, now Jessica Brown talks a lot about this period and how eating disorders can be so rampant Mm -hmm. in the perimenopause into menopause transition for all of the, 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 everything you're talking about. It's that feeling out of control and then also feeling out of sorts when your hormones are up, down, left, right, and sideways all of the time. You're just like, whoa. And so that could be a massive trigger. And this is just really, really not talked about. She's doing a phenomenal job of, you know, kind of putting putting words to this, but um, that's just something I, I feel like needs to be part of this conversation. And I also think it's fair to say that, you know, Lauren and I are coming from a perspective where we haven't gone through this ourselves personally, but we work with a lot of people who have or are. And so we're kind of trying to give give some voice into what we see and, and what a lot of the patterns are too. So you don't feel so out of sorts. You don't feel so alone and so isolated in this experience. But because we have that perspective, um, you know, we can speak into strategies to help you too. And so I let's let's start talking about that because well let's start by talking about some options that 
folks going, like if somebody was going through perimenopause and they're like, okay, I think I'm there. I think I'm in it. I'm going to Google search what to do. What are the options being presented to them? And then I also want folks to walk away with some like actual strategies that you've seen uh, in practice really help folks in this stage. Yeah. So to your point, if you Google perimenopause symptoms, perimenopause relief, um, it's going to come up with a wide variety of probably the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, it is, to your point, a very like vulnerable time in a woman's life. And so we have to recognize because of that kind of desperate energy that is brought to the table in this perimenopause place. It leaves these women really, really vulnerable to a game of the extremes right? Mm. You'll Google and find these people being really marketed to heavily from a restrictive dieting standpoint, an extreme exercise standpoint to, to feel anything to take back control of a body that doesn't feel like theirs anymore. Um, I mean, thousands of different hormone balancing supplements that you can find out there um, off the internet. And so those will be, I think, some of the more ones that I would want to caution women against is like, okay, we recognize that this is a time where we're probably bringing a little bit of some frantic energy to the table. And that makes us vulnerable to want to like dive into some things that we know at our core don't feel right. And it's, it's okay to listen to that. Let's take a step back because there's probably more options out there. Right. So I think a lot of women that are looking for answers, they either turn to those more extreme measures, or they tend to turn towards their doctor, right? A, a trusted professional that they're going to go to, hey, I'm having these symptoms. What are my options? Most of the time, conventional medicine, unfortunately, can offer some pretty good band-aid solutions. Um, a lot of practitioners are talking about things like, oh, let's use some birth control, to minimize symptoms until you're in that menopausal place, right? I even had um, a client come to me saying that her doctor told her to continue her birth control because it was the hormones that she would need in menopause anyway. And that's, I was like, hmm, that's a very interesting statement there because those are very much not the same thing. Um, so we got to have a really good conversation about, about that being utilized as kind of a a catch-all strategy for these perimenopausal women. Um, I think we also hear a lot of use of um, mood-regulating medications in this world, um, your SSRIs, your anti-anxiety medications, again, just perpetuating into that idea of having these women feel like it's all in your head. Um, and we're just going to, you know, go ahead and just shut that down. We'll just quiet that down for you a little bit. Um, I've also seen a lot of these women come through being prescribed things like gabapentin um, or some of those things that help from like restless legs or like sleep sedatives, a lot of things like that, instead of really talking about, you know, how is maybe blood sugar changes and hormonal shifts, um, circadian rhythm balance, maybe playing into our, our sleep disturbances of this time. And then I think even more so recently, we're seeing this particular population of, of women being targeted towards a lot of weight loss drugs. Um, and that being a, a kind of go-to with your ozempic categories and things like that out there too, just because a lot of times these hormonal shifts, they do produce appetite changes. They do produce um, satiety hormone changes. And instead of empowering women with information on, oh, okay, so how do I want to shift my nutrition and my lifestyle and my exercise slightly? We just come in and you know act like we just want to shut the appetite off, right? As if it's not an important signal from our body trying to tell us something, right? So- those would be some of the, I think, most common ones that I've seen kind of having that experience in a practice that has options to both, right? We have options to pharmaceutical strategies, but we can also respect the concept that there can be some functional practices that can really help in these regards too. Um, instead of just using things that shut off symptoms and not asking the bigger question of like, why? Um, how can we come to the table for these women with more options than just pharmaceutical strategies? Which is where I think the, the important middle ground comes in with the concept of hormone replacement therapy. That is one of those 
middle ground where I don't think that functional medicine always claims it, but mm. conventional medicine doesn't always claim it either. It's just this, this option for perimenopausal women. And unfortunately, I think even being in the position that I've seen, I've seen it be very powerful um, in terms of helping women in this, in this stage. And I don't think that it has to be an either or approach, but since conventional medicine doesn't always claim or use or promote HRT um, and functional medicine doesn't either, then sometimes women can fall between the cracks because they don't get aligned to a practitioner that offers them this as an option. So they get stuck between these two worlds between like, well, I'm stuck with all these pharmaceuticals that I don't necessarily want to be on, but I also, you know, have, I'm only making so much progress with my nutrition or my exercise and, and they don't feel like there's options when I think that there are more options in the middle. Can you define what hormone or HRT or hormone replacement therapy is in case somebody's not familiar with that term. And I also, why do you think it is so polarizing? Absolutely. So hormone replacement therapy, it is a little bit of a, um, a broad spectrum term, I guess we'll say, because there's lots of different types of hormone replacement therapy. You have bioidentical hormone replacement, you have synthetic hormone replacement. It comes in lots of different forms from, you know, pills, creams, gels, sprays, insertable devices like pellets. Um, we can use any of the major sex hormones, whether it's progesterone replacement, estrogen replacement, testosterone replacement. So the world of hormone replacement therapy, there's a lot of separate um, channels and, and directions that you can go within that umbrella. And I think the, the cool thing is, is recognizing that it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. And it's probably more polarizing because with a lot of the hormone replacement options, not all of them are recognized by the FDA having been through the full approval process. And so some of them, um, especially more of the bioidentical field is needing to go through a functional practitioner who's willing to look outside the box for solutions, um, is willing to go through maybe some compounding pharmacies and, and outside resources to be able to source that treatment option for their client. Um, so hormone replacement therapy is a little bit polarizing because I think functional medicine is willing to claim, claim it um, if they have the capacity to source it. Um, and then conventional medicine will also claim it, but they tend to operate more under what's covered under a patient's insurance. So I think there's a lot of a little bit of a red tape that goes in with why it's so polarizing is because sometimes it's covered, sometimes it's not covered. Um, certain practitioners are all about it and other practitioners are not all about it. And so you just get a lot of mixed opinions out there. And so because of that, I think some women tend to, you know, feel a little bit a paralysis by analysis, right? They get too many opinions coming in. And so they just end up being like, oh, you know, this person said yes, and this person said no. And so it's just off the table, you know, um, which is unfortunate too. I'm so glad that you said outside the box. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. And I, I want to do a whole podcast episode on this because like, I think sometimes in order to get people relief, we have to be willing to think outside the box. And it, that can be so challenging from somebody who is more conventionally trained. We just had a, a NP uh, reach out to us who's interested in, in FNA, in joining FNA. And, and she's like, all of my conventional training is so inside the box, but she's recognizing what limitations there are with that. And, she, you know, it's like, if you stay inside the box, you might be able to help 50% of people, but what about the other 50%? Like they're still struggling and suffering. And I think we have to never to the point where we're doing anything, um, irresponsible, but we have to be willing to kind of play in the gray area a little bit, especially with some of these gray area, uh, topics. So I'm a big fan of rituals. I think they can help us feel connected, grounded, and anchored, which is so much of what we need right now. My current evening ritual is to make my mellow magnesium drink and listen to a Manifest Your Health meditation. 
Ned's Mellow Magnesium is a powerful daily magnesium supplement. It's literally my favorite magnesium. It has amino acids, trace minerals that promote memory, mood, brain function, stress response, nerve and muscle health, and sleep. The majority of American adults are deficient in magnesium, which is a mineral that's essential to hundreds of functions in the body. This is one of those nutrients we absolutely burn through during periods of stress, and low magnesium can contribute to even more feelings of stress and anxiety. Mellow also contains GABA and L-theanine, which have anti-anxiety effects. Lavender berry is my favorite flavor, and it is very pretty. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code F-U-N-K at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. This one is for my low-carb Barbies. If you're struggling with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue on a low-carb diet, you are probably low in electrolytes. This is for two reasons. One is that whole foods, keto, or low-carb diets are low in sodium. When you cut out packaged foods, you basically cut out your main dietary, dietary sources of sodium. Also, you excrete more sodium in a carb-restricted state. But the good news is that replenishing electrolytes can really rectify symptoms pretty darn quickly. Element is my personal electrolyte of choice. It's super yummy, has everything you need and nothing you don't. The reality is every single person needs electrolytes, but if you're active or you're on a low-carb diet, you really extra need electrolytes to feel and perform your best. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets for free with an Element order. It's a great way to try all the flavors or you could share them with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. Element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it risk-free. I, you know, I, I think HRT is such a huge, huge topic and we'll definitely come back and do like a more in-depth part two where we're focusing on hormone replacement therapy. But for people who are listening, you mentioned there are some strategies you could consider either in conjunction with HRT or before you get to the point of trialing HRT. You mentioned shifting nutrition and lifestyle. You touched upon blood sugar. Um, can you speak more into, into strategies that could help folks? Yeah, for sure. And which is great to understand, you know, within each provider's unique scope of practice, it doesn't have to be, you know, all, all from one provider. We can really come to the table and recognize that there's probably going to be a teamwork equation here, right? So just like I myself am not prescribing hormone replacement therapy, it doesn't mean that I can't help connect women to that and say, hey, have you ever thought about this road? Or to your point, having a lot more women that have been coming to me, having either tried that route in the past and not felt successful with it, or women that are coming to me having dabbled with that, but it only taking them so far. And they're looking for that like full circle approach. So that's where I think the benefits of HRT and really a lot of these therapies for these postmenopausal women really shine is when we can bring these worlds together and recognize that will just HRT be the solution to all of your problems? No, probably not. Right. And that's where I think providers out there who are promoting HRT under a functional medicine umbrella can mislead people. Um, I've had some some individuals who have come to me and, you know, asking them, Hey, have you worked with any functional providers in the past? Um, what has been your experience? And I've had a lot of women that come to me and they're like, yeah, I've, I've had an experience with a functional practitioner. She ran some labs and put me on HRT and thyroid meds. Mm. I'm like, Oh, so that, that, that was she's like, yeah, that was my experience with functional medicine. Which I'm is like, not functional medicine, period. <laughs> not functional medicine in the slightest. And so I think that's where being on the inside, I'm, I got an opportunity to see, oh, so people that are claiming HRT and, and framing it under this functional umbrella, then start to make individuals think that, oh, if I tried that, then I've tried functional medicine. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, mm, 
Yeah, you got like a small opportunity to taste what outside the box might look like than a conventional model, but you essentially just got the same, I like to call it like greenwashed conventional medicine because Mm -hmm. they really, it was no different than them just looking at your symptoms and giving you a prescription for said symptoms and sending you on your way. Like that, that really wasn't what functional medicine is all about. And so what I feel like is really helpful is when we can come in and help layer in the other aspects of functional medicine with these women, including nutritional changes, lifestyle shifts, um, more advanced testing, and and all of those types of things as well. These are all such just such valid points, and and sadly they're not being discussed enough. Um, so I, I appreciate you bringing all of this to the table in terms of like walk away strategies or strategies people can walk away with um, from this episode, things that they can try on their own or with a functional nutritionist. Um, what what have you seen move the needle? I, I kind of joke, I'm like, everybody in perimenopause or menopause should do the carb compatibility project to learn how to regulate their blood sugar because I have seen that just make such a massive difference. We know with these hormonal shifts and changes that can influence our metabolism, that can influence insulin signaling. And so um, you might just have to kind of relearn how to eat for this period of your life. Things, to your point earlier, things change and that's okay. We just want to make sure that um, we're not trying to approach these new bodies uh, through the same lens that we were like 25 years ago, because what worked for us 25 years ago might not actually work now. So what are some specific lifestyle or movement or uh, food and nutrition strategies people can use? Absolutely. So when I see a lot of women that have either experienced the hormone replacement therapy before and felt kind of short-sighted with it or a little bit disappointed, or women that are actively using hormone replacement therapy, I think all of it applies with or without it. It's really just important to recognize that you're one body, right? And so the sex hormones are one small part of it, and there's going to be a whole interplay of different things that are going to impact how those sex hormones respond. So we want to think about how are we supporting your adrenals? How are we supporting your blood sugar balance? How are we supporting your gut or your body's ability to detoxify hormones through the liver and our our stool, right? So I think it's more coming from the foundations first and making, making sure these perimenopausal women understand that, hey, if we do have some um, sex hormone imbalances and some symptoms going on, we want to come up from the foundation first and really lift that up and not just rely on some replacement of those. But we really want to be able to put the replacement of any of those into a really solid environment, right? So it's we have to kind of, I guess, like nourish the body that these things mm-hmm. are coming into in order to get the best success from any you know, outside or ancillary uh, hormones that we want to put in. Usually if we come in um, really gangbusters with supporting the foundations first, now all of a sudden we get the full, we get to experience the full benefit of what these hormones were supposed to offer for us. It's just when we put those hormones into a system that's kind of rocky soil. We weren't really ready for it. Um, I always explain it in terms of like, we just tried to, with just the hormones, we try to like sprinkle sand on top of a bonfire. And it's like, did it go out? Did we do anything? It's like, no, it didn't. Oh, okay. So it's like, we just kind of like put those things in and they just get burned right up because the system wasn't even ready for it. It wasn't in a conducive environment to even do the best that it needed to with those. So when I think about you know, really taking these women in and taking them under my wing. And and what does that look like? Number one, we definitely want to start from a nutritional intervention and really look at an anti-inflammatory approach when it comes to their diet strategy. And I think one of the most anti-inflammatory things that we can think about and focus on when it comes to our overall nutrition is blood sugar balance getting these women off of the blood sugar roller coaster of not just the highs, which is the first thing that we always want to think about, but also blood sugar lows and getting them to start to recognize 
how their body creates an inflammatory response being on both ends of that spectrum. Um, So really helping them come in and stop thinking about calories and just like put that to the side. That was, that was awesome. Great. That might've worked in our twenties, but like we need to come in with a whole different mentality of like relearning our relationship with food. um, And what does that look like to fuel ourselves in a way that balances blood sugar, which is why I love the carb compatibility project as a foundational tool for these women, because I think it really helps answer a lot of those questions um, and a lot of the, the gray area there. So of course, I'm talking to these women about adequate protein intake for muscle, for insulin sensitivity. I'm talking to these women about fiber quantity, fiber diversity um, for our gut bacteria um, and satiety hormones as well too. Also talking about even just the importance of meal timing to support satiety um, and blood sugar balance as well too. So from a nutritional standpoint, those those are really the major ones. And it's, it's helpful for these women then to learn that even that mental component too of like, oh, when I feel more balanced in my blood sugars, my brain fog goes away. And my, my joints don't hurt as much. I have less inflammation. I feel more clear headed. I feel like I have lessened anxiety. I'm not as irritable. I'm not as, I'm not as easily triggered. And it's like, oh, I didn't recognize that my blood sugar was really, really acting as a, a potent like match for a lot of these symptoms. Um, so that's usually from a dietary aspect where I really want to go with those women. And I just said this last week, food is a way to resource the body. And, um, I super appreciate you talking about, okay, if we're, if we're going to be attempting hormone replacement therapy, or honestly, even supplements, you know, we didn't even get into that, but like if we're taking supplements to tweak our hormones, um, we, we have to be, they have to be landing in a resourced body in food, in blood sugar regulation is, is such a foundational way to, to resource a body. It's a, it's a really, really good place to, to start beyond just, um, managing our diet and looking at our food and nutrition. Where else do we need to go to be thinking about this? Definitely want to be thinking about our detoxification pathways, um, especially when we think about the gut and the liver. So I know we hear about it and talk about it all the time, but it's exponentially important during this time period that we have to make sure we are pooping every day. That is Mm -hmm. a major part of the body's detoxification pathway, especially if we're going to be replacing things that are like testosterone and estrogen. These are more growth promoting hormones. We want to be able to use it, but lose it. And a lot of that process happens by supporting the liver and supporting the gut. So uh, with a lot of my perimenopausal women, I am also doing a lot of, um, recommendations for the gut and microbiome diversity. We may even get into some gut and some stool testing so we can see what's happening with the good old estrobilome or how our bacterial diversity in our gut impacts our body's excretion and metabolize our metabolism of estrogen, um, which also plays into the liver. So for a lot of these perimenopausal women, we're talking about toxin exposure. We're talking about potential endocrine disruptors. Um, Also, we're talking about the fun topic of alcohol. Uh, That is a big one when it comes to thinking about supporting estrogen levels and maybe some of those erratic estrogen levels that happen in a perimenopausal place. A lot of women are starting to think about their relationship with with alcohol. So we may bring in a lot of liver support here, Um, like I said, whether that's through more advanced testing or whether we're looking at um, utilizing a little bit of an audit of their environmental situation, you know, plastics, fragrances, um, endocrine disruptors. Um, I may bring in, you know, a lot of your um, detoxification friendly foods, your sulfur rich foods, broccoli sprouts, utilizing things like castor oil packs, anything that helps us really maximize our and open up our body's detoxification pathways. Do you have a cap that you give people in terms of alcohol if they're if they're drinking alcohol and this is a concern? Normally, if they're on hormone replacement therapy, I try to educate them on the importance of 
making that as minimal as possible um, and trying to reserve it for more of a social and or celebratory setting and just getting them out of the mindset and the habit of utilizing it as a a de-stress tool Mm -hmm. and try to get them equipped with other de-stress type strategies and recommending you know, opportunities to get in some other nervous system support. So they're not turning towards the glass of wine in the evening, um, which is so normalized in our society, but may not be necessarily serving them very many favors. So interesting. And I'm not on hormone replacement therapy, but this summer I definitely (laughs) did more drinking than I typically do. Like I noticed myself um, just with socialization and just, we had a lot going on and I had like two of like the roughest periods, like just really Mm. sore breasts and just like not, not fun. So I was able to see a direct effect like, hey, you're drinking more. Your hormones are going to not really like be super stoked about that. Um, I I see that we're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have a client right after this. And we're going to be getting more into the nitty gritty of a lot of this stuff in the Carb Compatibility Project. Like I said, Lauren will be there to field questions and she's teaching a class, which will be really exciting. I also think... This is a, this was a really good comprehensive episode. I think it would be a great idea to share this with anyone you know who's going through perimenopause and in that like sort of like gray area of like, what's up with my body? What's going on? Like has questions because I think Lauren did a really great job of addressing a lot of the different um, different things that are going on. I also just want to shout you out because, you know, when you were talking about meeting with clients, a word that you used pretty often was conversation. You are in conversation with people. You are asking them questions. You're listening to their lived experience. You're providing education. You're getting to know them. You're making recommendations based on their needs and where they're at and what's going on with them. You really are meeting people where they're at. And I think that is at the the core, the foundation of a root cause functional approach. And I just love your work so much and I respect you so much. It's why I wanted to have you as part of our team because of, of, because of that, actually, because I think you're really providing in a way that not everybody... Um, has the capacity to. So I appreciate you. And um, yeah, you come come get to know Lauren through Team FN. She's seeing one-on-one clients. We've got her in Your Hormone Re- Revival and now in the CCP. So thank you so, so much for being here. It was awesome. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to even be involved even more. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.